Welcome to Screw the Hierarchy, episode 47. This is Deb Falzoy, and this week I'm talking about workplace bullying in the media. In three stories alone this week, two of which happened in New England, and how this issue being in the media helps uncover this hidden epidemic that has affected some you know, studies show as many as 90% of employees during their careers. So let's dive into it. You ready to hear it? More after this. If you're a target of workplace abuse and want to break free of the grips of abusive power, you've found your place. I'm your host, Deb Falzoy, and the podcast begins now. So a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, I talked about how to craft your workplace bullying story. And not just the practical like nuts and bolts of the structure that you can use, but also the purpose of it. And one of the purposes is to actually process what you're going through. So to slow down your thoughts around it and to the the act of constructing sentences and, and writing out your story helps you helps you see it in a new way and gets to um, different ways of processing it in your brain. Um, The other piece of it is the power in sharing your story and making your voice heard. Now, there are a lot of arguments for keeping yourself anonymous in either a blog post or um, telling a reporter that you speak with that you'd like to remain anonymous, but there's still power in getting your story out there, regardless of whether or not your name is attached. Because most of the time, employers only care about their side of it. They don't even want to hear our sides of it, or the only reason that they would want to hear a target side of a story is to see what evidence you have against the bully and to make sure there's not a liability that they have to worry about. So I want to bring attention. So two advocates this week alone alerted me to two articles that happened in New England um, papers, or actually one of them is MSN. But the first one is the Bangor Daily News. And the article is called Calls Mount for Maine Mental Health Agency to Address Leaders' Demoralizing Conduct. And it's reported in this article that the chief executive officer of the main chapter of NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, allegedly created a toxic work environment. And 15 former employees of NAMI Maine, which they say is the state's most prominent mental health advocacy organization, um, talked to these reporters about the demoralizing ways that um, this CEO treat, treats her staff. And what struck out at me um, in this article is the fact that over seven years, 64 staff members have left the organization. And the, the organization only typically employs 20 to 25 people at a time. So we're talking an entire staff turned over three times in seven years. That is an outrageous statistic. So I want to get into exactly what it was that was reported that she did. So um, 
these these reporters said that people who were mistreated under her documented this mistreatment in emails, text messages, recordings, memos. Um, and several of them complained to the organization's board members who who didn't respond in a way that that gave them much trust that they would change. So what she did, the CEO, was um, had unpredictable reprimands. She acted combative when people asked her questions. She criticized people behind their backs, spoke down to them directly. She made it difficult for people to succeed, basically. And a lot of these people quit just to save their own mental health. So this is where the playbook starts with these general um, basic tactics that are usually rooted in insecurity, but it gets worse in my opinion. Um, the CEO actually told Bangor Daily News that she never created a hostile work environment and she she said she, it's they reported that she warned against any story built on quote people's perceptions. Now that is a typical gaslighting um, tactic to say to somebody what you're doing, what, what, how you feel is simply your perception. It's minimizing someone's feelings. It's making them question what, what they're experiencing. And it's a toxic response, which just simply reinforces the toxic behavior to begin with. Um, I'm trying to find this other section. Okay. So the, um, board responded by saying that that we they were originally thinking of some sort of investigation but they said that the investigation is really expensive which is another tool in the um, employer playbook of of not addressing this issue cuz i can tell them what is also really expensive is turnover and keeping on a CEO who is creating an environment where, where morale is low, where productivity is low, where, you know, it's possible absenteeism is high. Um, it's, you know, they, they are, it is a, a short-term excuse for a long-term problem that this board needs to tackle. Okay, so this article also talks about the fact that Tracy Morgan um, who is, it says, with the NAMI Bath Brunswick affiliate, who acts as a liaison to the main office, raised concerns with the board's approach. It says that Morgan said, it appears the lawyer will only interview current staff, which is, is a mistake because they are likely hesitant to speak, especially if the CEO continues to supervise them. So this is another tool where a board or you know, higher ups can also sweep an issue under the rug by talking to the very people who are the most afraid of speaking out when there are former staff who've come forward. So Morgan says in a letter, according to this article, that, quote, former staff are the catalyst for this entire thing. At a minimum, their written comments should be solicited and considered. So I've, I've been in experiences before um, at a situation where there was a town hall meeting for the, this um, community of performers 
And there was an original request, although it didn't turn out this way, luckily, but a request by one of the board members to really focus on only current members of the community when the former members are going to be able to talk most about things that occurred. So it's really um, a, a way to minimize what's happening. So those are those are the the uh, the tactics in the employer playbook about how to dodge dealing with this. The next article is from the Associated Press um, about it's called Watertown Police Detective alleges hostile work environment and. This is um, about Detective Kathleen Donahue filing an employment discrimination lawsuit. She worked for the Watertown Police, um, and she was its first female detective. And she says that she faced a sexist work environment and was also targeted after speaking up about dangerous conduct that happened um, surrounding the Boston Marathon bombing. So, and the, and the details of that are that multiple officers fired their weapons and bullets are whizzing by her, her head and then hit the ground in front of her. Um, and it, this article details that a 2015 state inquiry found some officers used poor weapons discipline and endangered others in the crossfire. Um, an attorney said that we deny the allegations and there was never an attempt to bully her. So this is sort of the first arsenal, you know, first weapon in the arsenal of the employer playbook where all they're doing is denying because um, there's likely no evidence of this happening. So there's another article, and this is in the Boston Herald, which describes, it describes that she had this female detective, a sexual relationship with the police chief who is the brother of the state rep in this town. So there's some nepotism going on. Basically, this chief participated in creating a hostile work environment, allegedly for women who were officers of the Watertown Police Department. And this included exposing himself to a woman officer as well as engaging in other forms of harassment and and mistreatment. I'm also going to note here that a lieutenant on this police department knew of a relationship going on between Detective Donahue and um, the, the, the chief, and he happens to be cousins with the police chief. So there is a lot of nepotism going on here. So, so far we have multiple offenses here. We have bullets flying by this detective's head. We have an abuse of power with a sexual relationship. And we have um, nepotism. I mean, going beyond a good old boys club, this is actually relatives in power. I mean, that's going to be a pretty strong... uh, wall to break through or to to have anyone help help this detective so I want to actually give some um, accounts of what some of the male cops got away with according to the detective's complaint so she says in her complaint 
quote, another male officer during his tenure on the force forged identities in order to obtain controlled substances illegally. On information and belief, he was not emergently suspended. Another quote says, another male officer lied directly to the chief about being present on a detail when he was in fact getting a haircut. On information and belief, he was not emergently suspended. Um, In another part of this report, she says that there was another officer who at the Watertown Middle Middle School was alleged to have engaged in inappropriate conduct towards a female staff member and female students. As alleged, this patrolman encouraged female students to cut class to sleep in his office, showed them a sexually charged video and an inappropriate internet site. And then the last one here, quote, it was further alleged that the patrolman spent time off campus with one student who was a victim of sexual abuse gave her money, and encouraged her to call him daddy. That same officer was also alleged to have punched a student. So we're seeing multiple abuses here. Um, And this came out yesterday. I'm recording this on on Friday, a couple days before it's released. Um, And the last one was from Dateline last night, um, where an Army official... Or a member of the army, Vanessa Guillen, uh, was actually murdered. She was murdered by um, by another soldier at Fort Hood, and he ended up taking his own life after you know they found her body. But um, it's you know when reported later that there was a lot of sexual harassment happening in her unit. There was, um, and potentially he raped her and then killed her on the premises and then disposed of her body in a river about, uh, 20 miles or so away. And the Dateline episode talked about the fact that, you know, this is such a huge problem for women, sexual harassment in the army, in, in um, the military in general. Yet, um, you know, there, there's not uh, clear evidence that shows that the army is actually doing anything about it. People are afraid to come forward. Um, there was no talk that the army is actually dealing with these issues adequately, clearly not adequately, but it was the third article or the third piece of media that I saw this week alone addressing abuse of power within a, within a higher hierarchy and the mishandling of it by those in power because the people in power write the rules to keep themselves in power. So we need changes and we need them now. And I have been working on um, workplace bullying legislation, anti-bullying legislation in getting it passed and building a base for over a decade now and have moved on to working on the Dignity at Work Act. And we need as many people as possible to say that this is a problem. It is not um, a coincidence that in two 
or probably all three of these stories, women were targets, people of color were targets, um, and that the people in power were either white or they, in some, you know, in some cases, were men. Um, the army is certainly top-heavy with men. And then um, in the Watertown story with the police department, those were all men at the top uh, not dealing with the situation and not being professional and exploiting people, according to the reports in the articles. So... If anyone wants to get involved, go to dignityatworkact.org. We are building state teams and we're, you know, across the country and we are really, we've done a lot of work this year in, in getting some um, efforts going. Uh, there's some challenge with the pandemic, even though we know that there are so many more abuses of employees amid COVID. Um which I'll save for another episode here. Um, but I really encourage everyone to get involved because we can really uh, not eradicate the problem because no law eradicates a problem, but move the needle. Just like sexual harassment law did in making our work cultures safer, not completely safe um, you know, around sexual harassment. And it's still a massive problem, but it's an improvement from... Um, you know, pre-sexual harassment law days, which wasn't that long ago. So um, we need changes and we need them now. And please get involved. Thank you for listening to Screw the Hierarchy. If you feel like you need more help, I have a free guide to recovery steps at dignitytogether.org targets and a sign up for daily boosts through your inbox at the same place. All of the content in this podcast was created and edited by yours truly, Deb Falzoy, and the music you heard is from Kevin McLeod. All right, have a wonderful rest of your week, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye.